Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Knute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll hear from Gord Jansen with the Canadian Food Grants Bank and get an update on Manitoba's growing projects. Also, we'll chat with Aaron Garlick, Executive Director of the Grain Growers of Canada. Up first in today's country comment, we'll talk about wax moth and the problems being caused for beekeepers. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Beekeepers have been detecting the beginning stages of wax moth infestations within dead-out equipment throughout the province. Rob Curry is head of the Department of Entomology at the University of Manitoba. Wax moth is a fairly common pest in Manitoba, but not usually one that becomes a huge problem. It's kind of a little, um, kind of a dirty brown moth, uh, you know, maybe about uh, three quarters of an inch long or so like that. And um, it feeds primarily on um, wax and debris, pollen and, and stuff in honeybee colonies when, when the colonies are uh, abandoned. So in sort of a natural system, it's actually a beneficial insect because it sort of, uh, if a colony dies and, uh, you know, it's out in the wild, it sort of destroys all the remaining comb and prevents the spread of disease. But when you get it in a commercial beekeeping operation uh, in stored equipment, it can be really uh, extremely damaging uh, and cause lots of uh, sort of economic loss. Yeah, I guess just talk a bit more about uh, the uh, the risk there for uh, for uh, bee producers. Um, just with the uh, you know the loss of bees over the winter, and um, you know just some of the damage that can occur. Yeah, basically the reason uh, people are particularly concerned about it this year is because we had a really horrible winter uh, and uh, really really high losses here in Manitoba and throughout most of the prairies. Uh, Manitoba, our uh, colony survival was. Uh, in the range of about uh, 57%, which is uh, kind of very low. And we, uh, as a result of that, had um, difficulty growing new colonies in the spring, with difficulty replacing the colonies that died because of supply chain issues, uh, places where we would normally uh, purchase bees, such as uh, New Zealand, uh, didn't ship this year. So <clears throat> uh, beekeepers have been scrambling to um, replace what they can and try and split colonies that they can. But, uh, you know, it's been a really, really poor uh, spring for doing that. So as a result of that, um, there's a lot fewer bee colonies in Manitoba this year. And uh, unfortunately, the uh, equipment doesn't sh- disappear when the bees die. So uh, the beekeepers are left with huge stacks of these boxes that they would normally be putting on colonies for uh, collecting honey, and uh, you know they're they're kind of worried that when all this comb is is in storage, that it might become infested by this pest, this wax moth. And Rob, I guess talk a little bit about uh, some ways to uh, to monitor for this and and uh, prevention as well. Yeah, I mean the best thing to do is really uh, keep a, a sharp eye out for the adults, and um, you know the moths. Uh, you know they always talk about a moth drawn to a flame; they're drawn to light and things like that. And uh, you can put light traps up with soapy water under them. You can put black lights up. You can just kind of monitor uh, lights in in your sheds where you've got these things stored. I wouldn't recommend keeping the light on, uh, but you know watch for. The adult moth, a kind of little uh, dirty brown moth, and uh, you should also, you know, I would recommend probably once a week because uh, 
speaking from personal experience, it can get out of hand pretty fast. Um, and I would probably recommend just checking uh, some of the comb uh, about once a week to look for signs of the larva. Uh, it's the larva are in there. They'll leave kind of a webbing across the comb. They kind of leave a track across the comb. And uh, when they're very tiny, they don't do a lot of damage. But um, as the larva grows and gets bigger and bigger, uh, it can um, you know, devastate uh, you know, the entire box and, and entire stacks of boxes uh, fairly quickly. So you want to you want to catch it before it really gets going, and uh, you know, try and control it at that stage. All right. Any uh, Rob, anything else you wanted to highlight here on this? Or? No, I guess, you know, if you are uh, finding small numbers of uh, kind of larvae and combs, uh, if you can pop them on the top of a strong colony, that usually uh, allows the bees to clean it up fairly quickly. Uh, you can also put that comb in, uh, you know, cold storage, and that uh, suppresses the growth of the larvae and, and can be used if you can get it cold enough for long enough to uh, kill it. That was Rob Curry, head of the Department of Entomology at the University of Manitoba. He was talking to us here today about wax moth infestations and the problems being caused for beekeepers. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Manitoba Agriculture says early seeded spring wheat fields have completed flowering and kernel development has begun. And Kirk is the province's cereal specialist. Some of the later seeded cereals are just starting to head now. It just kind of depends when they were seeded. Uh, in general, the spring wheat crop is uh, mostly rated good to excellent uh, across the province. And it's the same with oats. They're just starting their, um, the earlier seeded crops for oats and barley would also just be starting head filling. And for corn, uh, some of the early seeded corn is starting to tassel. And the Canadian Cattle Association is pleased to see the increased funding for the next ag policy framework. The agreement includes $500 million in new funding, $250 million of which has been earmarked for a resilient agricultural landscape program. Tyler Fulton, an officer with the CCA, says that's a program the cattle industry is well positioned to take advantage of. The, the nature of having cattle on the landscape has really positive ecological benefits, um, not just from um, a habitat conservation standpoint, but also from from adding climate resiliency for, to in so far as uh, protecting against floods or fires. And then, of course, the whole carbon sequestration thing. He says they wanted to make sure environmental outcomes weren't tied to agri-stability or crop insurance, adding they'll have to wait and see the details around the connection to Agra-Invest. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Knute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Friday, July 29th. I'm Corey Knute. Coming up today, we'll hear from the Executive Director of Grain Growers of Canada. Joining us now is Erin Gowerlich, Executive Director of Grain Growers of Canada, to give her thoughts on the next egg policy framework. First, start by by commending the ministers at both levels for reaching an agreement. It wasn't something that we were certain they might be able to do, so we're, we appreciate that. Um, we certainly appreciate um, the increase in the overall funding envelope, 25% increase. Um, half of that um, additional $500 million now going to a new initiative, the Resilient Agriculture Landscape Program. So so we're, we're, we're grateful for that. There are a few areas where we have some concerns and, and we'll be seeking some additional information and hope to have the opportunity to engage with the federal government. And that is largely going to be around requirements for cross-compliance um, with respect to environmental programs and policies 
and the suite of business risk management programs. That's one area where we're going to be um, looking to work more closely with them to get more information about what their intentions are here. Now, uh, $250 million will be earmarked for the uh, new Resilient Agriculture Landscape uh, Program. Um, That'll reward environmental stewardship and emission reduction on farms. Um, Talk a bit about that program and and what you're expecting to see there. Well, what we're hoping to see will be uh, increased consultation and collaboration with, with Canadian farmers. So the programs and the policies reflect the practical realities at the farm level. This isn't something we've always seen with this government. I think they're very good at putting their money where their mouth is. So significant investments have been made for the agriculture sector as it relates to environmental targets. Um, So I, I commend them for that. But one area for improvement, if I can offer that feedback, would be they need to do a better job of understanding the realities of these policies and programs and their implications at the farm level, because I think that's the only way where collectively as a sector and as a government we're going to achieve, I think, our shared climate objectives is making sure that those budget dollars are earmarked for for practices, programs, and policies that that make sense at the farm level. And we're only going to get there if we work very closely with Canadian farmers. So it's my hope that as they develop the policies and programs to support this new fund, they do that in partnership with Canadian farmers. Now, Grain Growers has the uh, the Road to 2050 Climate Solutions Initiative. Um, I guess just talk a little bit about, about that and, you know, how that will sort of play into it. Absolutely. That work is, is well underway now. We've made the commitment to be net zero um, by, by 2050. That is a shared objective that we have with, with the federal government. We have every indication in the conversations that we've had with the federal government that they want to work as partners in helping the sector achieve that goal. And the only way we can do that is, is through a partnership. And so identifying areas where farmers believe, uh, this is a farmer-led initiative, the Road to 2050, where farmers believe greater potential exists, where can we do more as a sector to advance our shared environmental goals? And then as a government, through this Road to 2050, identifying a clear role for government in that work. What can they do to help alleviate some of the barriers to uptake for Canadian farmers? How can they incentivize practice change? And where can we increase our overall investment in research and development to ensure that those practices, those new innovative practices, are available to farmers across the country. So it is truly a journey that we're on together, and I have every every uh, indication from the federal government that they want to work closely with Canadian farmers as we work towards our road to 2050. And those recommendations will be out um, early in 20, very early in 2023, as we work to developing those with our farmer members across the country. All right, Erin. Uh, any other final thoughts here on the uh, on the announcement? Yeah, I think. There's one area where we do have some concern, and that is really around, and many farmers, I expect, have share similar concerns, and that is really around cross-compliance with business risk management programs. Look, we acknowledge that farmers across the country this spring have put the most expensive crop in the ground. Farmers are facing unprecedented costs as it relates to fuel and fertilizer and other inputs, and they're facing increased unpredictability and volatility, both in the international marketplace and as it relates to the weather and climate change. And so attaching any additional conditions to participation in what should clearly be focused risk management programs is going to do two things that I think collectively as a sector and as a government we agreed we didn't want to do. 
And that was increase the administrative burden for Canadian farmers, especially for complicated programs like agri-stability. And two, we want to increase overall involvement and uptake of those programs, not decrease them. And the more we attach conditions, the more we dilute what those programs are intended to do, the, uh, the fewer farmers, I think, that we're going to see participating in those programs at a time when, quite frankly, we want a lot more pro- farmers enrolled in those programs and seeing value in those programs at a time when they're facing unprecedented risk. So we do have some significant concern around cross-compliance. That was Aaron Gowerlick, Executive Director with Grain Growers of Canada. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to farmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The Canadian Cattle Association feels the increased funding in the next egg policy framework is coming at a critical time. Tyler Fulton, an officer with the CCA, says the agri-stability compensation rate increase from 70 to 80 percent is something the beef industry has been pushing for. What we've seen over the course of the last five years or so is just an increasing number of cattle producers exit the agri-stability program because it really didn't address their risk on their own operations. It, it wasn't responsive. And with a move from 70 to 80% compensation rate, as well as some of the other changes that they've been suggesting that would more equitably relate to our type of business operation, I'm generally pretty optimistic that, you know, that we can see a, a, a recovery in the number of people using that program. Manitoba Agriculture says haying is ongoing with the first cut over 50% complete and Kirk is the province's cereal specialist. In the areas that haven't been uh, hampered by wet weather, uh, haying has been going very well. Touching an estimate, but over 50% of first cut haying is complete with good yields. So yields are generally above average this year. Uh, a range of yields somewhere between 2 to 3 tons per acre in general, uh, with some higher reports of four and a half tons per acre on new, well-managed fertilized stands. Uh, but some areas have been unable to even start haying due to wet conditions or only able to focus on high areas. So producers that have had more rainfall have been having a tough start to hang. And the Manitoba government is encouraging Manitobans to celebrate the province's unique and diverse local and Canadian food, as well as its cuisine culture, by participating in Food Day Canada tomorrow. From tomorrow evening until sunrise on July 31st, the dome of the legislative building will be illuminated in red and white lights along with other iconic locations across the country in recognition of Food Day Canada. Manitobans are encouraged to visit fooddaycanada.ca to share stories about how they're celebrating Canadian and local food and farming and to show support by taking a pledge. The website has map locations of chefs, restaurants and events offering creative menus and highlighting locally grown and Canadian foods. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Roland 4-H Museum is open throughout the summer. Hours are 1 to 4 p.m. Manitoba Threshermen's Reunion and Stampede takes place this weekend at the Manitoba Egg Museum in Austin. The 2022 Manitoba Malt Barley Variety Trial Day is happening August 3rd at the Elder Farm near Wawanisa. Registration is required. Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers will be hosting a dry bean research tour at AAFC Morden Research and Development Centre August 3rd. Hear the latest on bean disease pathology, breeding objectives, regional variety trials, and more. And the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is hosting a workshop entitled Diversity Grazing August 4th. 
The cost is $30, and you can register on the MFGA website. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon, Gordon Jansen with the Canadian Food Grains Bank was set up this week at the Thanks for Farming tour held in Winkler. I stopped by the booth and got an update on growing projects here in the province. From what I'm hearing, the projects are really doing quite well. We had such a late spring, uh, very concerned about, well, as, as all farmers are in the, in Manitoba, but, or they were very concerned about the late seeding, but it seems like things are coming along. Um, a couple of projects weren't able to get the their their crops seeded, so there there has been a, that downside. But overall, uh, we're very hopeful for a good year. I guess expecting a bit of a later harvest, or yeah. Uh, I think that that it probably will be. Um, I think some of the uh, projects will be harvesting now are uh, coming up in in August, but there'll be others with the um, with the oil seeds and especially soybeans going later. Yeah. Are you planning uh, this year? You know to kind of get back to sort of the the bigger events there for the harvests, or. Um, it's the growing projects themselves that are planning that and yeah we're really hoping that that we'll have some places where uh, we'll be able to have some uh, big gatherings uh, but uh, we're, we're that will be the the growing project committees themselves that plan that yes we're here at the uh, Thanks for Farming Tour here in Winkler, and uh, something you've been talking um, to people about is just the uh, the global hunger crisis and 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 the emergency uh, levels there. Um, you know, just your thoughts on on I guess some of the work you're doing there. Yeah, uh, our executive director Andy Harrington came back from Ethiopia recently and uh, saw um, and reported on the number of uh, hungry people and that number is really increasing. We really are at a crisis level of the, for the number of uh, people facing crisis uh, around the world. Uh, there's 50 million people uh, that are facing emergency levels of hunger and this is, uh, we're hearing, unprecedented. And so our member agencies are responding and we're thankful that we have resources and, uh, and continued support for that, that response. But it's not in our news very much, uh, but the need is still there. So we're really thankful for the uh, response of farmers and the ag businesses around that we can continue to respond to these needs. We're also always looking for uh, if there's people who would be interested in, who are interested in starting new growing projects. Uh, we'd love to talk to people if there's interest in new growing projects. That was Gordon Jansen. He's the regional rep with the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here on Monday starting at 12 noon.